DAB Plus online via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. UFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Welcome to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2 as Leicester City look unstoppable in the championship already this season. Finish Swansea 1, Leicester 3. The Foxes have gone five points clear at the top of the championship after a seventh straight league win. You'll hear exclusively from the Leicester manager Enzo Maresca as he settles into life in the East Midlands. We are working almost for months. What we are trying to do in the pitch every day we, we can see it during the game and it's a process and we are happy because uh, we are in the right uh, direction. Meanwhile, it didn't go to plan for Wayne Rooney as Birmingham City uh, tasted defeat in his first game in charge. When you can see it in the 88th minute, 89th minute, whatever it was, um, it hurts but it's disappointing. But we've got to move on, we've got to go another game Wednesday. So many interesting scorelines and topics to discuss after this weekend. All the big talking points from Leagues 1 and 2 as well. Plenty to get through with the former Arsenal and Stevenage midfielder Adrian Clark. This is EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Hello, good evening. My name, of course, is Hugh Wizencroft. If you haven't been listening to the show, where have you been? But also, welcome. Nice to have you. Um, listen, this EFL season is motoring along very nicely. And, you know, we've had a few seasons that were laden with goals. A few weekends that were laden with goals, I mean. And I think this weekend was more about storylines. Loads of them coming out of our ears. We're going to dissect them all over the next hour. So thank you for being with us. Make sure you stay tuned. As I say, I'm Hugh Wizencroft and I'm joined by the former Arsenal midfielder, Adrian Clark. Hello, Adrian. How are you doing? Hello, Hugh. Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, very, very good. And yeah, as you say, it's been a week where lots has been going on off the pitch as well as on it. And uh yeah, I don't know how we're all going to fit it in to, to just the hour. We're going to try, squeeze as much in as we can. <laughs> uh, even football that didn't take place, so, which is where we begin, to be perfectly honest. Rotherham against Ipswich, uh, called off due to safety concerns for fans on Friday night, which ultimately is the most important thing. Um, but Storm Babette um, has been causing havoc, if you like, causing flooding by the stadium as well. Our heart goes out and our condolences to anyone affected by it. But Rotherham said the pitch was playable, but they were left with no choice but to postpone the game. The decision to call the match off made at 5pm, just three hours before kickoff. Um, it had to be about the fans, really, but could it have been communicated earlier and save some people a journey, save some people getting out the house when they did? What do you think? Uh, no, I, 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 I think it'd be too harsh to to criticise Rotherham, for sure. It's not. It wasn't their decision. I think it was down to the local council. And look, the, the banks of the river... You know, they burst in the afternoon. So at which point a lot of Ipswich fans would have been well on their way, if not up there already. It's just it's just bad luck. It's frustrating that the pitch was brilliant. I think Matt Taylor said it's the best it's been all season. But if the surrounding area is is treacherous, mm. dangerous, you, you can't have it, can you? So I think it's just just one of those unfortunate events. Right, let's get stuck into the football then, because I, I kind of agree with you on that one. And like we say, we've got plenty to get through. Let's start at the Riverside, uh, where Middlesbrough beat Birmingham City by a goal to nil. Wayne Rooney suffering defeat in his first game in charge of Blues. Um, beaten by Michael Carrick, of course, his former Manchester United teammate. Morgan Rogers off the bench to get an 89th minute winner. 
Um, and it was his first goal for the club as well. No more, really, though, than, than Middlesbrough deserved. I was there at the game, mm-hmm. and they truly did deserve it. They had the lion's share of possession, all of the chances as well. John Ruddy put in a great performance in the Birmingham goal. And so they were well worth it. In fact, they're functioning very, very well at the moment, Middlesbrough. Now, five league matches in a row, six in all competitions. Um, let's start with the positives for them. What did you make of it? Yeah, well, look, you were, you were there. It, it looked to me as if it was a 1 0 battering. And, and, Maybe the fair, a fairer reflection of the game would have been 3-0 because they had so many chances. I mean, mm. 10 shots on target. That was the most in the championship across the weekend. 12 shots came from inside the box. So they had more than enough uh, opportunities to score. It's funny, really, because the goal that they got w- w- wasn't the cleanest effort <laughs> in, in terms of Morgan Rogers. The pass to, to Matt Crooks was an absolute shocker, but it, it was played in such a way that Crooks had no option but to give it straight back to Rogers, who, who toe poked it in. But no, I think I think that Michael Carrick is looking good now. His team, his team are functioning nicely. He was confident when you spoke to him. What was it? A month or two mm-hmm. ago, he was very calm, even though results weren't going brilliantly. And everyone around him, including us at times, were, were saying, "Well, this is really bad." But he 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 kept faith and. And the team, are, the team are flying. They're full of confidence now. And and, and they're even getting impacts off the bench, like Rogers, like uh, Latte Lath, who came on and stretched the game late on with his pace and power. Um, yeah, they're, they're looking good at the moment. Middlesbrough, five wins on the spin. I think three clean sheets in a row. Yeah, they're flying up the table. The only thing I say, I think, for their attack is... Josh Coburn, who had a very good chance, really should have hit the target, dragged his shot wide. Mm. Uh, one goal so far this season leads the line for them really well, really a focal mm. point that their players like playing off. So I can completely understand why he's starting. If he gets into a run of goals, then this could be a side that would be right, right up there. You know, he's 20 years old. He's learning his trade. If he can start to hit the back of the net regularly, he can be a huge player for Middlesbrough. If you like, mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a positive and a negative there because he is playing well, the team's playing well, and they're playing well with him in it. But if he starts to score, it can get even better. And that's one of the, yeah. the few takeaways I take from all of the Middlesbrough games that I've been to and seen uh, so far this season. When, when it comes to Birmingham City, only two changes were made by Wayne Rooney in his first game in charge, one enforced as well. But Birmingham didn't lay a glove here, I have to say. Um, there, mm. there was a clear change of approach from what I was seeing. But that change of approach, Adrian, left Birmingham wide open. It, it was certainly not reminiscent of John Eustace's side. No, it, look, it's, it's, he comes with new ideas, Wayne Rooney, as, as all new managers do. And it will take some time maybe for the players to adapt to that. The, th- the problem is that there wasn't too much wrong with Birmingham City under John Eustace. So the players might be thinking, well, why are we changing this? Because mm. it was working just fine, the, the tactical approach that we had just a few weeks ago. But each manager has their own identity and philosophy. And, and look, Wayne Rooney wants to sort of build with the fullbacks very high, sort of the two centre-backs and the three in front. And then the fullbacks are the sort of widest players up top with with the three forwards in, in inside of them. And it, it means that they have to do a lot of work. But yeah, when they when play breaks down, down those sides, there are gaps, aren't there? And somebody like Isaiah Jones is just on fire at the moment for, for Middlesbrough. They, they're going to, to make hay in those kind of situations. So look, it, it was a miserable debut, wasn't it, for Wayne Rooney? But I wouldn't jump to any major 
conclusions there. He's um, he's just got to get his ideas across. But for the owners, not ideal because they've sold the dream that Birmingham are going to be, you know, possession-based team that play exciting attacking football. Well, this was kind of the opposite of that, wasn't it? So uh, lots of work to be done. Uh, playing against Liam Rossini, reunited Wayne Rooney with his former assistant manager, uh, at Derby County in midweek, Birmingham against Hull City. His first home match at St Andrews as well. Should be a great atmosphere, but he will want all three points in that one for sure. We'll talk about Hull a little bit later, but let's move on to a big game towards the bottom. Watford won, Sheffield Wednesday nil. Yasser Espria uh, with the late winner. That denied the new Wednesday boss, Danny Roll, a point in his first game in charge. In fact, uh, Espria had only been on the pitch for four minutes in a game that, to be honest, Wednesday again played really really well in and actually many people would have said deserved all three points Wednesday still bottom of the championship without a win all season Watford's first victory in six games a massive one for them and Valerian Ismail but something Adrian you will hardly ever see an overturned penalty Musaba fouled if you like by Lewis huge point in the game but like I said Wednesday were looking pretty comfortable for most of the match the referee, Dean Whitestone, awarding the penalty. I thought it was a pen. I've got to be honest. I thought it was a pretty clear foul. <laughs> Spoke to his officials, overturned it. Is that, that's worse than VAR, isn't it? I mean, uh, <laughs> the, the, the I mean, official when, was literally only 10 metres away. Yeah, look, when things aren't going your way, it, they just everything conspires against you, doesn't it? I think clearly that the, the linesman, I'm guessing, has... has been in the referee's ear and said, I'm not sure about that. Mm. I'm not sure. And then they've obviously had a conversation and I don't know. I, I saw the replays. It looked to me as if the, you know, that they got something on the ball, the defender Lewis. So, but look, would it have been referred to VAR? You know, what would they have done about it? <laughs> who, who knows? Who knows? But I, I'm just glad, I'm just glad we were saved that palaver, but I, I feel for Wednesday there, because that could have been the kickstart that they needed. Mm. By all accounts, they were better. Mm. You know, eight changes, eight changes the manager made. So he really did stamp his own mark on the team. And yeah, by all accounts, very much better defensively. Some nice passing patterns, but but ultimately they they couldn't finish. And mm. and that is the issue, isn't it? We have now gone, I believe, eight hours and twenty two minutes since the last Sheffield Wednesday goal, which is. Oh, just horrendous. Well, You're in that team. Yeah, I was, about to, yeah. I was about to ask you, really, have you ever been in a team? You know, we, we spoke a lot about Cheltenham. They've turned the corner. We'll come yeah. to them later. Mm-hmm. Breaking records for the wrong reasons this season. But what must it be like in a changing room on a training pitch mm-hmm. when you can't score for love nor money and no one mm-hmm. really knows why? What does that do to the mood of a football club? Oh, it's, hor- it's horrible because it puts so much pressure on everybody else not to concede a goal. Because you think, well, if we if we let one in, that could be it. And in football, the the fun part is attacking and scoring goals. That's what brings the great enjoyment, the bars of of of, of the crowd going wild when you score a goal. And and if you you almost forget what that that feeling is like, and it can drain confidence very very quickly. And and fingers start to get pointed, you know, between the units, defenders and midfielders can can start to sort of say, "Come on, guy," you know. We're doing our bit. What about you? And and then you can find conflicts in the dressing room. I, I don't think I ever played in a team that went on a drought like that. But when when there were droughts, it was yeah. You just felt like where's the next win coming from? What, how are we ever going to win a game? And that must be how how Sheffield Wednesday are feeling right now. It was a good winner 
from Aspria. Yeah. I, I do like him. I think he's a I think he's a really bright prospect. He's still 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 very young. Uh, the Watford player. He came off the bench and yeah, lovely breakaway and finish from him. I think he's a name we'll be hearing plenty more about in the in the years to come. Mm. Okay, let's move on to two sides who came into this weekend in very good winning form. At Swansea 1, Leicester City 3. Leicester becoming the first side in the history of the English second tier to win their first six away league games. They came from behind in this one after Matt Grimes' volley. They got a deserved leverer through Yannick Vestergaard, then the teenager Abdul Fatawu, um, put in his first Foxes goal before Kelechi Iheanacho broke clear, touching the ball home for their third, but it was the seventh successive championship uh, win for Leicester City. They've won 11 of their 12 league games after their relegation from the Premier League. They've extended their lead to five points after, of course, Ipswich and Rotherham was postponed on Friday. They're 11 points clear of Leeds in third already. That is a remarkable start. Swansea dropping uh, uh, from mid-table down to 17th after a four-game winning streak comes mm. to an end. We're going to hear from Enzo Mareska, the Leicester boss, uh, just after the break, but it's becoming such a foregone conclusion with Leicester that we always, in the production for this programme, wonder whether they're worth mentoring, mentioning because it's just victory after victory after victory. Yeah, it's getting boring, isn't it? Yeah. Unless you're a Leicester City fan. <laughs> uh, it's... I, I'm so impressed. I saw them in the flesh not long ago against Preston and they just toy with the opposition. They make the pitch, you massive. When they have it, the wingers are, they've got chalk on their boots. You've got the, you know, the, the fullbacks pop into midfield. Everything. They're so stretched out and, and the, the opposition are just chasing shadows. The wingers, the wingers are very exciting. They're a bit hit and miss, but they're very, very exciting players. And, and they've got so many different avenues to to score goals and to hurt the opposition. Yeah, look, Leicester City are going to win the title. I've, I've no doubt about that. Everyone else is playing for for the runners up spot, in my opinion. They are some team, and yeah, I think they I think they will better Burnley's total from last season. I think they're that good. Yeah, foregone conclusion is possible at this point in time. We will hear more from the Leicester boss, Enzo Maresca, very, very shortly here on EFL All Access. We will also, of course, assess some of the other big results in the championship because there's plenty to talk about. We'll get to that straight after this. You're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL. All access on TalkSport 2. This is EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. I'm Hugh Wisencroft. Alongside Adrian Clark, the former Southend and Stevenage midfielder, is with me. We were discussing Leicester City a few moments ago. And well, like I said, we were kind of discussing, you know, where do they go in this show? Because every week they win, it seems like we know exactly what's going to happen every time they take the pitch. But we've got some insight here that you need to hear because it has been a phenomenal start. Top of the table, the league's top goal scorers, and some believing already that they will be champions come May. And I think it's a pretty good shout. But Talk Sports football editor Jason Bourne has been speaking exclusively to the Foxes manager Enzo Maresca a couple of days ago. Have a listen. Enzo, four months or so at the club. Very broad question. How have you found your first four months at the club? Yeah, as you said, almost uh, four months. Very happy. Uh, very happy because uh, uh, we, we are working well and 
uh, not all or not uh, because of the facility also because of the facility but in general uh, we are working well in terms of uh, what we are doing since day one uh, it's quite clear and in the same times we get some results so yeah happy Promotion is clearly the big target for the football club this season or at some point in the future. But what were the biggest challenges for you coming into the club four months ago? And what do you feel that you've accomplished in that time? No, to be honest, uh, I always said the same. Uh, to change something is possible. Uh, but uh, to change something uh, quickly, it's impossible. So required time. At the moment, as I said at the beginning, uh, we are working almost for a month. What we are trying to do in the pitch every day, we, we can see it during the game. And it's a process and we are happy because uh, we are in the right uh, direction. How important was it to, to change the mentality at the football club? There were some accusations last season of complacency when the club got relegated. Did you have to come in and change the mindset of the players? Yeah, at least uh, when there is a relegation, uh, most of the players, they are going to leave. And the play that they stay, they are mentally not uh, perfect uh, because of the relegation. So you need to work with the new players to let them understand what kind of club is this. And with the players that they stay here, you need to work with them and to give them energy. And in the same time, to be honest, what helps a lot are the results. And in terms of the style of football that you brought to this football club this season, it's been uh, you know, a vast change from, from under Brendan Rodgers, Dean Smith before. How difficult was it to implement that kind of style you know, going into pre-season and obviously at the start of this no, campaign? It's, yeah, it's difficult always because you try to implement, as you said, something new. And always when you try to do something new, it's complicated. But uh, to change the way we want to play or the change the, to change the culture, it's, it's, it's possible, you can do it. But uh, you cannot do it quickly. This is the only difference. Is there more from Leicester this season? Uh, hopefully, yeah, for sure. For sure, because we have many things to improve. You've had very few defeats in the Championship this season. Um, but I'd be interested to know how you react to, to setback. How do you react to defeat? Do you take it in your stride? Do you think it in the same sort of terms as if you win a game? But how, how, do, you, how do you react to something when, it, when you lose a game? No, we try to analyse uh, what, uh, what doesn't work well. And from, them, we, from there, we can, we, can, we can improve for sure. When we win or we lose, uh, we try always to understand what is working well and what is not working well. And it's much more easy to, to improve things when you win against, for sure, because the, the boost and the energy is different. Uh, but uh, we, analyze, we try to analyze the game, even doesn't matter if we win or lose. Just want to ask you about one of your players that you brought in in the summer, Connor Cody. Now, obviously, didn't start the season because of his injury, but... We were told about his positive influence on the dressing room, being around there, being you know there when they win games, away games as well. How positive a signing has he been, not just on the field when he's played so far, but off it too? No, no, no. It's been unbelievable. Unfortunately, as you said, he has been injured for a long time, two months. Now he's back with us. Uh, but uh, he has been fantastic since day one. Helps everyone, uh, talking every, every time. In terms of leadership, uh, top. You spoke to, to me a couple of weeks ago about Harry Winks and the level that he can get to. You mentioned in the press conference recently about 
Steffi Mavadidi. Are there other players um, in this squad that you feel that can reach that higher level again in time? I always said the same. All of them, they can improve. All of us, we can improve day by day. Uh, for sure, uh, Steffi, uh, Ari, uh, Yunus, Mats, uh, Abdul, uh, even Cesare, all of them, they can improve. Kele can improve, uh, G- uh, Jamie can improve, uh, Wilf can improve, he's improving. So they are improving, all of them, and this is the most important thing for us. Pretty good goal from Yunus the other day for Turkey. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Now we are waiting one with us. <laughs> Last couple from me. You do have a friendship with Roberto De Zerbi and, you know, Pep Guardiola pretty well. How do you use those friendships, those contacts for this season in your, you know, your first championship campaign? How do you go about um, utilising their advice? Man, to be honest, when uh, they are busy, I'm busy, it's a little bit complete. Probably during the international break is when we, we are in contact, but... Uh, they are busy with their problems and I'm busy with uh, my problems to try to solve things. So it's just uh, now it's just a relation that uh, during the international break we have some contact, but uh, nothing more in this moment. Last one from me, Enzo. You're clearly very dedicated to your role here at Leicester as manager. But what do you do to get away from football, say on a Sunday or an international break after, after a football match? What do you do for fun? No, family, family time. I always said I have four kids. I think now everyone <laughs> knows. So during the normal day, uh, we spend almost all day here. But uh, during the international break, uh, we try to spend time with the family. And you feel settled here in the East Midlands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy. The family is happy. The kids are happy. My wife, she's settling good. Uh, we anyway, we moved from Manchester, so it's not uh, it's not far. Same country, so good. Yeah. The fans are happy too. Enzo, he's made a great start to life as Leicester City's boss at top of the table and uh, could be a Premier League uh, manager before you know it. Um, Listen, we've spoken a lot about Leicester City and the superlatives uh, concerning their team, but it was interesting to hear uh, Enzo Maresca feeling very comfortable with his feet under the table just four months in uh, at Leicester City. So let's get to the other stories in the Championship. Adrian Clark alongside myself, uh, Hugh Wizencroft. Where to go next? Well, let's talk about Millwall of course manager list and coming from behind to rescue a point against Preston North End uh, excuse me Preston's uh, winless run in the championship stretching to five games now um, Millwall fighting back uh, Zion Fleming scoring a fantastic goal after Mads Frocker had slotted uh, the opener home for Preston but of course we have to react to the sacking of Gary Rowett, which is a strange one, isn't it? Um, in terms of what we see now, this may be a mutual consent, which is actually mutual consent, Adrian. I, th- I think it is. Yeah, I th- it's tiring. It can it can grind you down being mm. the manager. I'd imagine we just heard from Enzo Maresca there. It's all consuming, you know. Until there's a an international break where you can maybe just have a few, a little bit of a breather and switch off. So. Yeah, it's tough. And I think Millwall's a hard club to manage with the expectations of their fan base. You know, they demand certain things. And yeah, I, I, I thought Gary Rowett did a brilliant job. I really did. Just under four years in charge, always in and around it, top half. But maybe it was the end of that cycle. And I think he accepted that. And uh, he will he will get another great job. I've got yeah. no doubt about that. Gary Rowett is one of the best managers operating outside of the Premier League, in my opinion. But it gives Millwall and the squad a chance to 
to have a fresh voice yeah. in the changing room. Sometimes you need that, don't you? So who who will, who that person will be, I don't know. There are a couple of former Millwall players out there that, mm. that are out of work at the moment that, that have decent CVs. Uh, uh, listen, I find it a, a very interesting football club. I think one of the reasons, this is obviously speculation, but from my personal mm. opinion that Gary Rowett may have felt it was almost a ceiling for him in terms of what he could do as a coach there. But also mm. maybe, the, you know, y- you don't get the wider credit as Millwall boss, given how far they've come as a football club. I mean, my mm. my initial reaction to his statement was, has it been that long already? You know, it's he mm. was just plodding along, getting the job done. You know, Millwall in a stable place in that division. But when you look at the teams coming down, some of the other clubs spending money, you kind of think, where is the ceiling now for, for Millwall? Yes, OK, Luton but yeah. that trend mm-hmm. and everyone will look at them and say well Luton Town can do it so can you but but ultimately it would have been a very difficult task to get them out of that division and you know maybe he feels like he's doing a good job he's in a groove in terms of his coaching skills maybe it's time to choose somewhere that gives him the opportunity to just push himself a little bit more maybe maybe it is that but it may help Millwall get a fresh uh, manager in and fresh ideas and that could help them move forward as well mm-hmm. so it could be win-win for both if you like. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, who who knows who it's going to be? I mean, Kevin Muscat, the former mm-hmm. World player, is he's done really well over in Australia and and in Japan as well. He's followed Anjos Koglu actually in his last couple of jobs and and been successful. He's an option. You've got Mark Kennedy, who's who's just been let go by Lincoln. Uh, I remember playing against him when he was at Millwall as a youngster. Um, he did a great job at Lincoln, in my opinion. You've got you've got other good options. Yeah. John Eustace is out there. Nathan Jones and Adam Barrett is is a is a really smart guy as well. Who's who's the caretaker mm. at the moment? So that they'll they'll end up with someone decent. Millwall. We shall see. Uh, in the meantime, as you mentioned, Adam Barrett's in charge still um, without Gary Rowett at the club. So earlier today, TalkSport's Ian Abrahams got to speak exclusively to a man who scored a stunner at the weekend, Millwall's uh, Zian Fleming, who Rowett signed for the club back in June last year. The championship this season, or any season, but you've, last season and this season, is this the toughest league you've ever played in? Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely tougher than uh, the Eredivisie, so... And that's obviously the two leagues I've played in, yeah, and in the second tier of the Netherlands. But uh, so, yeah, obviously this is the toughest league. Uh, but I think especially because the differences are so small amongst the teams, uh, that's what makes it even harder. In terms of that, we always say that anybody down the bottom can beat anybody at the top, apart <coughs> from maybe Leicester. But <laughs> does it make it more fun when you're playing that the fact of that unknown? Uh, yeah, maybe it does because, to be honest, if you look back at when I played in the in the area, you would have games, especially when I was playing for Fortuna Sittard, and we were mainly like right side of the table, right half of the table. Um, it means that the majority of the games you'll play against a team which is normally significantly or at least better than you, and where it would be an upset or like a good result to get a point or something like that. And here, nine out of ten games, we can and we go for the win. So, yeah, that does make it more fun, yeah. A change of manager. In terms of that, as a player, when you look at that, do you think, oh, hang on a minute, you know, that's the only manager I've known, that's the manager who signed me? Or do you think, hmm, there's a chance for something new? Yeah, all of that maybe. I don't know, like, obviously, uh, Raoult brought me to the club. And I've like our, our, we've worked together 
good. Like we've worked together well here in the time that he was here. And when he leaves, uh, obviously things can change, but at the same time, like, yeah, well, I don't know what that change is going to be anyway. So I'm not really, yeah, haven't really been thinking about that. Just like cracking on and obviously it happened on the Wednesday night. So we were in on Thursday morning and the next game was already on the Saturday. So you don't really have time to worry about anything if you even want to or feel the need to. So, uh, no, I didn't really have that feeling. Just focus on the next game. I don't know about in Holland or any other leagues really around Europe, but over here there seems to be a feeling that managers in general don't stay very long. So Gary to have been here four years was was pretty incredible. Yeah, I think... Uh, I don't know the exact stat, but I think I've seen or heard somewhere that he was the longest or one of the longest serving managers in the championship or something. Second longest, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, I think, yeah, obviously that's impressive and that's unusual, especially in England, but even in the Netherlands that's unusual, but even more so in here, I think. At the end of last season, did that have a long effect on everybody? I mean, you're playing Blackburn again. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, at the end of last season, it all went wrong against Blackburn. I mean, psychologically, do you, do you ever think of that? I mean, we think of that in the, in the, in the press. Some of the fans will, will think of that. Do you think of that, or, do you, or is it really not bother you? Um, well, uh, I do. I've, yeah, it's, it, the thought crossed my mind, obviously. Like, whenever you see Blackburn... That's just an instant kind of thing in your brain, which obviously brings you back to that moment. And especially now, because it's Blackburn at home for the first time after that day. <laughs> um, I do, I'm not like constantly thinking about it, but what I say, like the thought crossed my mind and I can't, I can't lie that it would feel extra sweet to win, even though it doesn't help us fix anything from last season. But yeah, just as an extra, I don't know, just as an extra, it's not even revenge, but just, just for yourself, I think, where you can, I think if we win, if we beat Blackburn now at home, we can 100, 100%, 100% like close that last game of the season off and just completely forget about it. And I hope that will be the same for the fans then. It's funny because ahead of the, the, the last game of the season, I'd spoken to people at Luton and Coventry doing some interviews. And I was saying, oh, you know, in the playoffs, and the Coventry's case, you know, I think they needed a point to be in the playoffs. And no one was saying, you know, we're looking forward to the playoffs or we're even thinking about the Premier League. When you went into that game with Blackburn, were you thinking about being in the playoffs? Were you thinking about the possibility within a month you could be in the Premier League? Definitely not that last one. Um, thinking about being in the playoffs... It's maybe not the right description, but obviously we knew what we had to do. And that was just, if we win, we're in the playoffs. So obviously you know that, but it's not that we were like daydreaming about being in the playoffs, but we were more like focused on winning that game and getting to the playoffs, basically, if you know what I mean. So You came through Ajax. I mean, such an amazing history to that club. So many great names. I saw Johan Cruyff play. <laughs> That's how old I am. Um, you know, people like Dennis Bergkamp, Mark Overmars, Edwin van der Sar. I mean, when you come through at that club, how much are you told about the history? How much are you just expected to know about the history? And how much does the history help you? Um, I think I, 
it's hard to say if I if you get taught the history I think I just knew uh, and I felt like everyone just knew or like the majority just knew especially like I am born in Amsterdam as well and my dad's from Amsterdam and my grandparents are from Amsterdam so obviously like you're raised with that kind of history anyway where you know about it and then in the academy uh, yeah the way you have been told about it is because the ex-players who've been really successful with the club like winning champions leagues or playing loads of first team games they come back and work in the academy as either head coaches of youth teams or as individual coaches um, so yeah if you're working every day with the ex-players from like the great times of Ajax then obviously if you're working with Dennis Bergkamp I mean wow I, I'm not sure whether you get starstruck or not whether you get like wow that's Dennis Bergkamp I mean on day one did you go hey you're Dennis Bergkamp <laughs> nah it didn't go that way I think like when he was my coach I was really really young I think 10 years old maybe and obviously you know probably know everything about Dennis Bergkamp playing but it was slightly before my time and before our time of that team um, you must know the goal against Argentina of course, the of course we knew that uh, obviously you know his name but the legacy itself and the way like you speak so passionately about him now that's more a thing that like probably our parents had to tell us they're like yo Dennis Bergkamp is your player but you know that he's an ex-pro and he's a very good player but he was like the, you know what I mean we, we couldn't we couldn't really know that because we were too young um, so it's obviously incredible to have a big name as a coach but then at the same time you also see that's just another person as well so it's a bit it's a bit it's a bit of both I forget how young you are because I mean you know I could go Hullet and Van Basten and Rijkaard yeah. and, all this, and to you they're, they're just names well not just names because obviously you know like you've seen the videos you know the big moments in history of Dutch football uh, and you know the main characters in in that in those stories basically um, so you know that but it's not that we or like my generation we haven't watched them play week in week out we just know like yeah we just know the highlights <laughs> you missed the Van Basten volley could you, could you do that Van Basten volley uh, against the USSR could you do the, the Bergkamp goal against Argentina uh, ever tried it in training <laughs> I think I think I think at some point everyone probably tried the Van Basten volley in training and I've never seen one go in so <laughs> let's just leave it that way <laughs> across the road so to speak at West Ham two players you know well or you, you, you know of them very well Edson Alvarez and Mohamed Kudus um, I think West Ham fans are getting very excited. What are these guys like? Uh, it's just to be sure, like I, d I don't know them personally. I just know them because yeah. they played at Ajax, um, and obviously I watch quite a bit of Dutch football every now and then. Still, um, I think Edson Alvarez is playing, is playing everything, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he's really good, like solid holding midfielder who can break down attacks like incredibly well. And Kudus is a very flary, creative strong player as well who can score a goal and give assists so um, yeah I think I think it's two good players they've signed would, would you get together with them when they're over here I mean would you try and meet up with them because you've got that Ajax connection oh uh, no like I, I, gen 
I left Ajax a long time before they before they even joined. So uh, that is just yeah. There's there's loads of people and players around with some connection with where you've played before, but it doesn't then make you friends straight away or something. So no, that's not that's not the case. Especially this Millwall West Ham, it might be nice to sort of get together with them. You know that rivalry, right? Yeah, I know that rivalry. So uh, that's another reason maybe not to do so. <laughs> Finally, what are your ambitions this season here Premier League playoffs what, what, would it, what would it be I think it's the same as what it was last year uh, obviously we've just spoke about the Blackburn game where, where in the end we fell short and it's yeah it's up to us to make sure we're in that top six that was the goal that is still the goal and then uh, once we're in there we're gonna do <laughs> like everything we can obviously to win the playoffs but uh, I think getting there is getting there is the main goal is the first goal because if you don't get there you can't win the playoffs either so yeah that's what it is and is it the goal of every player to play in the Premier League because and that might sound a silly question but it didn't mean it to sound silly but I mean in terms of over here you know we're in Britain we are so football mad yeah. like, like in Holland I, I guess I mean the Eredivisie yeah. goes all over the weekend doesn't it no, no yeah. two games played at the same time no, we might yeah. get to that soon in the Premier League um it must be a goal of every Dutch player to play in the Eredivisie. Is it the goal of every player to, who comes here to play in the Premier League? Yeah, like me, obviously, as a Dutchie, uh, everyone knows about the Premier League and everyone knows that it is the biggest league in the world. But us growing up, everyone wants to play in the Premier League, but everyone would also be very proud and excited about playing in La Liga or any of the other no not any of the other but like in the top top leagues Mm. but since I've moved here uh, I have seen how big it is and I've not underestimated it because I never really thought about it that way but just when I'm here and I see it within the squad and just the things on TV and stuff I see like you can tell that the Premier League is some kind of holy grail or something for the whole football world Um, so yeah it's even it's even bigger and even more iconic than I than I thought it was, like looking from, from the Netherlands, really. Remember, you're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. 18 plus, begambleaware.org will have more, including events at Carrow Road, I think, next on TalkSport 2. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. This is EFL All Access on Talk Sport 2. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside the former Arsenal midfielder Adrian Clark. As I said to you at the top of the show, plenty of stories for us to sink our teeth into. We've been motoring along nicely. Let's round off the championship with events at Carrow Road where Leeds United fought back from two goals down. Daniel Farker's return to Carrow Road as saw him beat Norwich City uh, Leeds United, of course, three goals to two. Shane Duffy gave City an early lead. Sara dribbling's way through, smashing home. And Norwich looked very comfortable. Leeds wasting a, 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 a host of, of first-half chances. But then Shane Duffy scoring an own goal. And then a double from Crescencio Somerville. Two fantastic goals. And the last one, a rapid break. And him finishing off uh, with five minutes left to uh, send those Leeds fans home. Very, very happy 
indeed. Leeds, three straight league wins for the first time since May of 2021. They're up to third uh, within six points now of Ipswich, of course, as we mentioned, Ipswich didn't play at the weekend, but it's a fifth defeat in eight for David Wagner's stuttering Canaries. They're down in 10th. Um, Adrian, what did you make of, of the t- change, if you like, in momentum in this game? Was it poor from Norwich or was it just more quality from Leeds? I'd, I'd rather praise Leeds, I think. It, was, it wasn't the worst Norwich City performance by any stretch. I mean, Sarah's goal was an absolute yeah. beauty, wasn't it? I love that. He's... He's a terrific player, and I think that Rowe and Hernandez had caused them problems down the sides. But, but yeah, no Leeds just went went for broke two 0 down. They 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 released the handbrake, so to speak, and and they've got such exciting players. You know, Crescencio Somerville was the hero with those two brilliant goals. You've got Dan James on the other side, Piro Ruter, and 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 then bring just look at the players they brought on, Hugh. You know, they're bringing on Jaden Anthony, Patrick Bamford, mm. Luke Ayling, Wilfred Nonto. They've got incredible depth. Even though they, they lost so many players last summer, Leeds United are, are still right up there in terms of quality. I, I think they're second only to, to Leicester City. And, and hand on heart, I think the way it's going, the momentum that Daniel Farkas b- built there, I, I, I feel that, Le- that Leeds will eventually overtake Ipswich and, mm. and get themselves into, into second spot. They're, they're maybe better suited away from home where there's a bit more space to run into on counter-attacks because they've got so much pace, so many great dribblers. At home, when teams come against them, that they're really defensive. And I think they've found that a little bit tricky to overcome. But in matches like this, that are two and fro. It suits leads down to the ground. And, and in the end, they de- they deserve the win. Uh, very, very positive for Leeds United. No no sentiment in the build-up from Daniel Farker, but I think he no. will still be very happy to see his side uh, take three points away. It, it, internally, he's fist-bumping for fun, <laughs> you know, isn't he? You know. He didn't want to give anything away. It was very, it was very, I don't know why, I don't know why, because, you know, if you're going to come out and give loads of platitudes to Norwich, then fair enough. But he didn't want to say anything positive against them, uh, towards them, but then he didn't want to say anything against them either. It was a very, you know, monotone reaction, if you like. <laughs> yeah, but he, look, he's just won. He, he's he's answered any critics that he mm. might have had at at Carrow Road with with that comeback win, hasn't he? It must have been the sweetest of of revenge victories for for Daniel Farker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move into League One now. Uh, Adrian Shrewsbury won Derby County nil, and as much mm. as it's a fantastic result for Shrewsbury, we have to talk about Derby County and Paul Warren's yeah. Derby County right now. Um, Conor Hurahan scoring an own goal, that was the difference between the two sides. Um, but ultimately, after the match, we saw maybe something that, that told us a little bit more about what's going on. Hurahan um, was speaking to some furious Derby supporters in the away end, and, you know, they were saying things that ultimately fans do say you'd rather they didn't but they were venting their frustrations Hurahan saying look I'm trying my best we're trying our best but it just isn't working right now for Paul Warner and, and, and what is next for Derby County we don't know no I wouldn't have gone over for a start I think that's a bad idea nothing good really comes out of those conversations you can't chat properly you know fans are worked up you're worked up from the game it's it's all hot air really I don't think that was a great idea. Um, but the fans aren't happy with Paul Warren. And I know that. I've got a friend that's a big Derby County fan. And I think he he would like a change. He, he doesn't like the football. He thinks that the it's, a, it's an unbalanced squad. And I have to say, I agree with that. 
there are too many old players in the in the derby squad. It's as simple as that. It's great to have experience, but you've also got to have a bit more athleticism. You've got to have some power, some pace, some physicality. And around that team, you don't really have it. And when you play a team like Shrewsbury or a Burton Albion or, or any some of the lower teams in League Two, they're going to try and rough you up and they're going to make it a real physical contest. And from, from what I've seen this season, Derby don't have players that are suited to that. Here's a stat for you. They've had eight different scorers so far this season, mm. Hugh, um, Derby County, and all of them except Erin Cashin, who's a centre-back, are in their 30s. So seven of the eight scorers are in their 30s. Wow. They just don't have young, vibrant, attacking players that are, that are contributing to the team. He needs to get to January. He needs to get some results so that he can keep his post, Paul Warren, and then... And then bring in, bring in the players he needs because the squad is in desperate, dire need of young blood yeah. to just perk them up a little bit. Any pressure on Paul Warren? Definite pressure, yeah. If if the results go badly over the coming weeks, then I would I would envisage a change. And it's not because he's a bad manager. Mm. He's a very good manager. He's proven. But the squad he's recruited is imbalanced and they're not, you know, they're not getting good results on a consistent basis. They're very volatile in terms of their results and performances. And, and when you get beat 1-0 at Shrewsbury and you're the manager of Derby, that instantly puts you under pressure. And, and let's face it, there are some good managers out there. Gary Rowett used to be Derby manager. I'm not sure he would take that job, but mm. he'd be a prime candidate, wouldn't he? John yeah. Eustace just left Birmingham City. He's in the area. Surely he'd be a name that they're, they're, they're looking at. So, you know, I like Paul Warren. I really like him. I think he's a great character, but he's definitely under pressure. OK, Derby slipping down to 11th. So we're talking about a managerial change next that has already been made. Uh, Lincoln beating Fleetwood by a goal to nil away from home. Tom Shaw was in charge after Mark Kennedy's dismissal. It's their second league win since August. Um Fleetwood down in 22nd, by the way, but but Mark Kennedy's public criticism of his midfielder, Danny Mandrew, and not Lincoln City's results were fully the reasons why Mark Kennedy was sacked. That's according to the chief executive, Liam Scully. That's a quite a an interesting revelation, really. Um, what, what do you make of Liam Scully coming out and saying that? Well, I don't think he should have said it. I think that that's opened a can of worms, hasn't it? I mean, there were scratched heads because you look at Lincoln... And they were pretty steady under Mark Kennedy. I was looking at it earlier today that they conceded four goals so far this season in open play. That's incredible. Mm. That shows a really organised side. Haven't got very many decent forwards at that level. So that's why they, they're they around mid-table. But he was doing a good job. What are you supposed to do, Hugh, when a player gets red carded for, you know, for something silly, something daft? Are you supposed to applaud them off? Or, mm. you know, can we not? A manager's not allowed to to criticise their players with three days, ye- three yellows in the four car in the four games before that. Yeah, I mean, all he was saying was he needs to sort his discipline out. Otherwise, he'll he'll become another statistic. I think that's what mm. the term he used. I.e., his career could could fall away. That's that's a message to the player to 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 improve, and that's what managers are there to do. They're there to improve players, and sometimes honesty. With, with what you verbalise, is, is of paramount importance. So I find it bizarre. I, I do like Lincoln as a club. They're very well run. They don't sack their managers willy-nilly. They're very good at what they do. But this is an odd one. 
I, I wonder if there's more to it than just that mm. and that maybe the, the dress some of the players are, weren't getting on with Mark Kennedy behind the scenes. That's that's the only thing I can think of because he didn't deserve the sack for what he said about Mandrew and he certainly didn't deserve the sack for results. Yeah, OK, we'll move on. Uh, elsewhere in League One, we've got to talk about Cheltenham finally. Um, Cheltenham yeah. won, Cambridge United nil. It's their first win of the season. It's a building block for the team, according to their head coach, Daryl Clark. Liam Serkham's uh, early goal, enough to sink Cambridge United. Um, it was only their second league goal of the season, of course, but already showing signs of improvement under Daryl Clark. He says, from the derby game where we got the monkey off our back with a goal and now we get the monkey off our back with a win... Plenty of hard work ahead of us, but we're going to enjoy the moment as well. They're now one point off Reading in 23rd, six points off 20th place Carlisle. They've played a game more. Seven without a win for Cambridge, by the way, but but we have to kind of, you know, give it to Cheltenham. We've mentioned, you know, some negatives for them so well, much this season. We've laughed at them, haven't we? Yeah. We, we've giggled yeah. at how bad they are this season and how they just couldn't, you know, couldn't score. But what a goal this was. Liam Serkham chipped it. It's a beautiful little chip. It was Bergkamp-esque. <laughs> I can't give much more of a compliment than that. It was a delicate little chip, really cheeky. And and over the course of the game, they, they battered Cambridge. I think they had 20 shots, seven on target. I mean, this is a this is a far cry from what they were producing previously. So Daryl Clark has instilled some belief uh, in some positive mentality and, and got a reaction from a group of players that were on their knees. So so well done to Clark, well done to the players. It's not beyond the realms of possibility now that they could save themselves. There's still a long way to go, but as he said, this this is the start. Listen, it doesn't have to be incredible form, doesn't have to be title-winning form to get them out of it. That's how long there is left in the season. If you can eat more 1-0 wins out of it, they'll be clear at some time soon. And it's a side who have injected some positivity with the change of manager, you have to say. So uh, kudos to Cheltenham Town for that first win of the season. We'll be into uh, League Two next with some more revelations uh, from CEO slash chairman when we get to Accrington Stanley. You're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. You're listening to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Hughes and Croft alongside the former South End and Stevenage midfielder, Adrian Clark. Let's get into League 2 next. Wow, Adrian, uh, the chairman of Accrington Stanley, Andy Holt, has put the club up for sale. Um, Remarkable. On social media a little bit earlier on, replying to comments uh, that were made by the Accrington assistant, Jimmy Bell, who said that he and the manager, John Coleman, wanted clarity over their futures um, by saying that they hadn't been offered new deals with their contracts due to expire at the end of the season. Now, Holt then responded on social media saying, I'm not replacing them. I'm replacing me. The fans then started to ask him questions and the chairman said, I'm not the right person to take this forward. Accrington needs a change uh, and to become a new club with new methods. I've nothing more to offer the club. I am spent. Um, It's crazy, really. Then went on to give an interview um, talking about... Bell's remarks saying when the club got relegated last season the first thing our managers said was give us a new contract or sack us there was no way their performance deserved anything but the sack but their pass with the club got them an out of jail free card 
Um, had they buckled down and proved they still had the hunger and desire to rebuild the club, I would discuss new contracts. Instead, after a few wins, they went to the media. They've tried to use fan pressure. Uh, excuse me. They've tried to use fans to pressure me, which was a mistake. I mean, I guess it would have been a mistake had he ended up sacking them. But the, the, the fact that he's basically claiming he's going to sell the club is a bit of an, an overreaction, isn't it? Wow, it was great content here, wasn't it? Thoroughly, <laughs> Hashtag content. I thoroughly, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed reading the thread. It was it was entertaining. You know, he was emotional, but 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 also coherent. And it's his money at the end of the day. And if he's not enjoying it anymore, and he's not working with people that give him respect, and I don't think it was a respectful interview from the assistant Jimmy Bell, um, using the media to try and pressurize the the owner into giving them a new contract um yeah if if you're not enjoying it and you you're you're miffed at that and and various other things then why should you carry on um i don't i don't blame it if he feels that he's done that he's spent that he he can't see a way forward then then there's no option but to, but but to leave and and to hand over the baton to somebody else it's unusual to see it play out uh, on social media and it's great for us neutrals to sort of gorge on but I, I I'm on team Holt here I, I feel a little bit sorry for him and and yeah if, if my team had just been relegated and the manager's coming up and saying give us a new contract or sack me I, I that's that's not what I'd want to hear really yeah, yeah um but 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 John Coleman and, and Jimmy Bell have been brilliant and, and Accrington have punched above their weight for years and years and years, mainly because of them. So so I get why he's saying I'm not going to fire them. But uh, but yeah, that relationship <laughs> doesn't seem like it's in a great place. I, no. I don't see it being repaired quickly. Um, the, the issue is, how is he going to sell it? I mean, Accrington is a, is a very small club and um, I, I don't see it ever really becoming a cash cow. It's a labour of love um, and finding someone as passionate about the club and the town as, as Andy Holt is not going to be easy. Yeah. Um, so this might not be a quick a quick fix. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for, Accrington fans. We are going to find out uh, if there are positive days ahead for the football club and if Andy Holt goes through with the threat to sell, if you like, uh, should he get the right offer? We shall see. Anyway, um, elsewhere, another a piece of news revolving around a manager. Let's talk about Colchester United struggling at the moment and they've sacked head coach Ben Garner after just seven months in charge after the 2-1 home defeat by Harrogate left them second bottom after four successive league defeats. Garner took over in March when Matt Bloomfield left to become the Wickham boss in League One. He won seven of his 28 games in charge. Um, what, do you, what do you make of this? Does a manager really... Can they really have a huge impact on a football club in just seven months? Well, they can, but but I I feel this is a knee jerk reaction. Obviously, it's four straight defeats, so any manager that loses four on the trot is is under pressure. I get that, and and the the problem is that they got spanked by Forest Green, who were really struggling in the previous game, and then to lose at home to Harrogate, a really small club in League Two. It is sort of it really did intensify the the pressure on him, but I like Ben Garner and I think that he's working with a, such a young group of players. He's got a million injuries. A lot of his sort of star senior players have been out uh, out for various periods. It's been really difficult. I like him because he's a good coach. He's got a plan. He's improved the quality of the football. They're scoring loads of goals, but 
you know, it's Colchester. They, they don't have a big budget. They, they probably are going to lose more than they win. It depends what, you know, what they're looking for, Colchester. I know that league position is precarious, but I don't necessarily think that Ben Garner was the problem there. So, um, yeah, feel for him because, he's you know, where do you go from there? It's, you know, you lose your job at Colchester. It's it's going to be tough for mm. him to come back. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure Colchester can recruit someone that will do better than him, not not over the next few weeks, weeks or months. So, yeah, yeah bit of a strange one. Adrian, been a pleasure to be with you once again on EFL uh, All Access. Uh, you can listen to us every Monday from 6pm here on TalkSport 2. If you miss any of the shows, get them on the TalkSport app. We're also available as a podcast, which you can get wherever you get your podcast from. Just search EFL All Access. I've been Hugh Wisencroft. 